0: Our sin is severe. That's where we left off, remember? Uh, After taking a comprehensive spiritual diagnosis, it was pretty obvious we can't escape that fact. Once we've recognized the severity of our sin, we can get to work putting sin to death with the next directions from John Owen. So here's the next one. Want to put sin to death? Then, get a clear and abiding sense upon your mind and conscience of the reality of sin. Do you have this? Do you clearly recognize the reality of sin? This sense of sin is not going to beat around the bush. It's going to be specific. Do you have an abiding sense of the reality of sin? Uh, We need to think on this and we need to think on three things. We need to think on the guilt of sin, we need to think on the uh, evil of sin, and we need to think on the danger of sin. First the guilt, I've never been more broken of my own sin in my entire life than when I read of Jesus speaking these words to the churches, I know your works. Go read Revelation 1-3 to and maybe you'll experience the same thing. Before we sit down or stand up, God knows. Before the words we are going to speak are even in our mouth, God knows. And it's naive to think otherwise. Jesus suffered for the sin we're trying to hide. I get a clear sense of the guilt of sin and also of the danger of sin. Sin is dangerous to the condition of our hearts. As it says in Hebrews 3, sin is deceitful and sin aims to harden your heart. It's dangerous Uh, Because of the discipline that God might bring upon it. Now, God loves His children, and His discipline is an expression of His love, but His discipline is painful and fearful. Speaking to believers who consider the gospel lightly and still keep sinning, Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's also dangerous because perpetually living in sin means we will be perpetually living absent from the peace of God. The good news of the gospel brings us peace with God, but to continue to walk in sin without putting it to death will disqualify us from enjoying peace of mind. Sin is dangerous because it is for sin that God's wrath is coming upon the sons of disobedience, and that used to be us. Get a clear sense of the guilt of sin, of the danger of sin, and of the evil of sin. Ephesians 4.30 says that sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 6.6 says that sin puts Christ to open shame. 2 Timothy 2.21 teaches us that if we don't cleanse ourselves from our sin, we will be useless to God's work. Okay. Got that? Next. We need more than just a sense of the reality of sin. We need to load our conscience with its reality. It's not just enough to know the guilt of sin. We need to feel the guilt of sin. This, this is going to be a weight. Load your conscience with the guilt of sin by seeing your unholiness in the light of the magnitude of God's holiness. Isaiah saw the holiness of God, uh, then he saw his own holiness, and he trembled before God. Peter saw the same thing when he first met Jesus. The Apostle John saw the same thing in his apocalyptic vision. We are a people who don't like to come face to face with our guilt, but, but we must. Are you willing, like Isaiah, like Peter, like John, like Ezekiel, like Moses, like so many others in Scripture, to humble yourselves before God under the weight of your sin? John Owen believes we must. He says, If you deny to deal with it on this account, it is not through faith, but through the hardness of your heart and the deceitfulness of sin. Loading our conscience with guilt, also means that we need to move our minds from the law and recognizing that we don't meet God's standard to the gospel. Seeing that, yes, the gospel is good news for us, but it was also, it was also grief for Jesus. Isaiah 53, verse 4-5 to 5 says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. This is humbling. We are guilty, yet he suffered? The author then leads us from the law to the gospel and causing us to think about it personally. Hasn't God been so patient with us in our sinfulness? Hasn't God been so gracious to us when we wander still? If we load our consciences with the guilt of sin, then this next third particular direction that we're learning today will be so welcomed. Constantly long and breathe after deliverance from the power of sin. Do you? Do you long to be delivered? Do you ache to be free The author says, Assure yourself, unless you long for deliverance, you shall not have it. This will make the heart watchful for all opportunities of advantage against its enemy and ready to close with any assistances that are afforded for its enemy's destruction. We've gone through four of the nine particulars now. The first one was the diagnosis and the next three we learned today. Uh, Five, six, and seven invite us to consider whether our disposition or our personality uh, has something to contribute to the discussion because some sins are definitely more provoked by certain dispositions. So here's number five. Uh, Be aware if your personality influences your sinful habits. Now, this shouldn't mitigate the guilt of our sin. It should actually motivate you towards an extraordinary watchfulness towards your sin because, admittedly, you know you're more prone towards it. Here's number six. Uh, If so, be aware of the occasion when your disposition is more prone to lead you to sin. Then number seven, when those occasions start presenting themselves... Rise up and fight back vigorously against the first temptation that comes. A sin will always um, seek to undermine the authority and the trustworthiness of God's Word. And it will tempt you with pleasures that it cannot deliver. Um, Combat its lies with the truth. Don't let it get a foot in. Be putting it to death as soon as it rears its head. If you could give one piece of advice to your 16-year-old self, what would you say? I would tell my 16-year-old self this. um, Your self-worth is not determined by successes, failures, or other people's opinions of you. Your self-worth is secure in the gospel. You see, my personality is naturally a people-pleaser. I crave people's affirmation and I fear their rejection. So, actually, the sins that clings so closely to me, especially in my high school years, were uh, sins like laziness and gluttony and, and lust. And for me, those sins were easy, available pleasures that I reached out to so that I could numb the fear and pain I felt when I failed someone that I loved or disappointed someone I wanted to please. I'm still a fearful person and I'm still a people pleaser, but I don't give in to those same temptations because the grace of God has trained me to renounce those temptations. I get it a bit more now. I will fail the people of I love. I can't please everyone. But I know my self-worth isn't secure and my successes are failures. My self-worth is secure and God's love for me in Christ Jesus, as with everyone who calls on Christ. And we can rise up against those temptations with the truth of the gospel and put them to death when we know who we are in Christ. If you've decided to take ownership of this task to put sin to death, then you should know now which sin it is that clings so closely to you. If you don't know today, then search your heart and ask that the Holy Spirit would reveal it to you. If you do know, then ask the Lord to show you if it's connected to your your personality, your disposition, and ask someone that you trust, like someone in your small group. Then, be watchful. Be watchful for those common occasions that temptation arises. And rise up against it when the first of its temptations appears. Here's the eighth particular direction. Exercise your mind to think on thoughts of your own depravity. All right, I actually want to show you something very particular from the book because John Owen uses some words that are very abnormal to our cultural way of thinking about the self. And I actually want to to show you the particularly your words John Owen uses, right here. Uh, Use and exercise yourself to such meditations as may serve to fill you at all times with self-abasement and thoughts of your own vileness. Uh, I wrote right there, uh, self-esteem. Um, how about self-grief? Uh, the, the Christian scriptures teaching on human nature and the sense of self runs completely contrary to the trends of 21st century culture. Um, Self-esteem and afflating our own selves only inflates our own depravity. But willingly deflating ourselves will allow us to inflate our view of God. We will not realize self-worth from self-esteem. We will realize self-worth from God-esteem. When we see ourselves... In light of God, we will be filled, we can only be filled with thoughts of our own vile depravity. Friends, we love you. And the message of self-esteem is not good news. The message of the cross is good news. And when we look at the cross, we should see that we were the ones that deserved to be hung on that tree. Here's the last of the nine particular directions. Listen for God's peace, but don't be at peace until God himself speaks peace. The end result of putting sin to death is that we will be at peace. We want peace of mind that the sin that has clung so closely is finally loosened, but when we tell ourselves that we can live at peace while sin is still crouching at the door, John Owen stresses that we can't let this attitude linger. We can't allow ourselves to be at peace until God Himself speaks peace to our souls. So this begs a question, um, how do I know when God has spoken peace to me or whether I'm allowing myself to live at peace when I shouldn't be? Remember, we're putting sin to death by the Spirit, and that's only possible because Jesus has suffered for our sins, So that we could be saved from our sins. Romans 5 verse 1 says that we're justified by faith and we have peace with God. Peace comes through the good news of the gospel. And it's the power of the Spirit that allows us to experience it. So here are eight ways that you are allowing yourself to experience phony peace. It's phony peace if it doesn't come with the greatest repulsion of sin that you've yet experienced towards that temptation. It's phony peace if it doesn't come with the greatest repulsion of sin that you've yet experienced towards that temptation. The greatest display of faith that Jesus said He witnessed when He was alive was when a woman called herself a dead dog. Do you yet see that about your sin? Second way, uh, it's phony peace if you think logically about the truth in your mind, but you aren't convicted by the Spirit in your heart. Some of the smartest people you'll ever meet can logically grasp the gospel, but they still have a stone-cold heart. It's phony peace if the experience of peace comes and goes quickly and doesn't remain in your heart. Jesus said that his peace would be different from the peace that the world gives. It's phony peace if the peace doesn't come with a measure of waiting on the Lord. Mark this reference down. um, Psalm 130, verse 3 to 5. Go read that one. It's phony peace if you go quickly back to your sin. That's just numbing ourselves again from the guilt. It's phony peace if you reach out for peace carelessly and apathetically. That's what the prophet Jeremiah condemned the people for in Jeremiah 6.14. It's phony peace if another temptation to sin is lying closely at hand. You're probably just exchanging one rotten fruit for another rotten fruit. The problem isn't the rotten fruit, it's the sinful root that produces the rotten fruit. Finally, it's, it's phony peace if it doesn't come with great humility. Isaiah 66 verse 2 says, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Okay then, so, what will it be like when we actually have peace? John Owen says this, If the peace is known instinctively, and abides on your mind and your heart, as the Apostle Paul said it would, like the peace that surpasses all understanding, then that's peace from God. It should be known instinctively, like like a sheep instinctively knows the voice of the shepherd when it calls. Also this, if, if the peace does good to your soul as it abides in you, it cleanses you, it humbles you, it produces joy in you, it remains in you, then you can know that it's a peace spoken by God.